Hello and welcome to Powerful Possibilities, a guide to ADHD from diagnosis and beyond. I'm your host Catherine and I'm a certified ADHD coach with my own experience of a diagnosis of ADHD and autism in my 40s. My career is dedicated to helping people like you navigate the misunderstood areas of ADHD. So whether you're recently diagnosed, you think you might be ADHD, or you're looking to better understand your journey so far, this is your new go-to platform for your insights and transformative strategies. Grab your coffee, settle in, and let's unlock the potential that's just waiting for you. You're in the right place. What's up, my friend? It is episode seven of Powerful Possibilities, ADHD newly diagnosed and beyond. I'm your friend and your coach, ADHD coach Catherine, coming to you from a snowy Edinburgh today. This week, we're going to go into part two of ADHD and food. And last week, we spent some time looking at neurotransmitters and how that can impact our ADHD possible connection with different kinds of food. And we talked about why snacking can be one of the things that some people find is resolved when they begin medication because their ADHD is no longer in charge. And this week we're going to talk about ADHD and food, but from the perspective of things like meal planning, we are going to have a quick recap on the neurotransmitter piece because since last week I have been doing more research and I've got a couple of interesting things that I really want to share with you. We're going to finish off with a little bit about hydration, a tiny bit about supplements, although I will warn you straight away, none of this is medical advice. I'm not a qualified dietitian. I'm certainly not going to give you any advice that you should take as instructions. Please do your research and do not follow people on TikTok who tell you to take multiple grams of things. (laughs) Yeah, I saw a video last night which had me slightly shocked and which I will be recording a response to later. So what can we do today to think about ADHD and food and how you can manage when you've got to plan for not just yourself but maybe a whole household and maybe there are other people who have challenges around food. We're going to have a little look at our food and I'm going to tell you about a kit that I have created which is going to be online in the next 24 hours. So let's talk about ADHD and neurotransmitters again, especially dopamine, because dopamine is the one that everyone talks about, right? And I think I mentioned to you the work of Dr. Nora Volkov, who is a fantastic scientist. She was the first person to really document the proof that our ADHD brains respond to rewards differently. And she coined the term reward deficiency. It's something that we suspect leads to excess snacking but it can also lead to problems with other substances that we won't mention and it can even lead to types of behavior such as you know gambling impulsive spending and so on that are not in line with our long-term goals but meet our need for that immediate reward and dopamine rush so let's quickly recap the neurotransmitters and think about these as little messengers that carry signals within your brain they're going from one place to the next and they cross these gaps between your uh, synapses so if you think about SSRIs Prozac or sertraline some of these they are serotonin reuptake inhibitors and they stop the serotonin being reabsorbed the theory being if you have 
more serotonin circulating for longer, your mood will increase. The theory is kind of the same with some of the dopamine medication. And that's because we now know that our dopamine receptors, our dopamine transporters are very efficient. And we suckle the dopamine back up before it's finished doing its job, which is making us feel good. So dopamine helps you to feel good when you've accomplished something like finishing a task, playing a game, just hanging out with friends, people that you enjoy. But because we have lower circulating levels of dopamine because of our efficient transporters, it's not going to do the same job or not do the same job as well. So we don't get the same level of satisfaction and enjoyment from finishing things as other people might. The other neurotransmitter we need to think about is norepinephrine. Think of this as an alertness booster. It can help you to pay attention and react to things that are going on around you. And it's like your brain saying, hey, focus on this. That's norepinephrine. So that's why sometimes we find it difficult to concentrate and stay on task. The last one we're going to talk about from last week is serotonin and this one's often connected to your mood but it's not about a happiness thing it's like a stabilizer it keeps you centered so you're kind of in the middle you're able to feel happy you're able to feel sad but you don't have these wild swings and you don't go too far down the thing about serotonin is it can affect everything from your sleep to your appetite and of course your emotions and how you respond to events to people and so on So even though we don't talk about it much in the context of ADHD, it's definitely a key player in this game. I want to have a quick look at a couple of other neurotransmitters that we didn't mention last week, or shall we say ingredients in the recipe that is your brain. So we're going to look at two more things. And the first one is GABA or G-A-B-A. Now, when I hear that, I immediately think of the Ramones. And if you're my age, you're now hearing the Ramones in your head as well. But think of GABA or GABA, however it's pronounced, as what they call an inhibitory neurotransmitter. That means it calms everything down. So if you think of your neurons in ADHD, sometimes they can get a little bit excited and it's almost like they are just too communicative they're too they're they're just getting out of hand gaba gaba comes along and just calms everything down so it's very much connected to our ability to relax to sleep and to how we react to stress and on the other side of gaba or gaba 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 hey we've got glutamate and glutamate is an excitatory neurotransmitter and so when you want to learn something or remember something glutamate comes along and shakes your neurons up a little bit and helps you to learn things and remember them. So you can understand how all of these five things together are really important when it comes to everybody's brain, but especially ADHD. And you can understand why things like paying attention in class, paying attention at work in meetings, being able to switch off at the end of the day, being able to remember things, it's all connected to your neurotransmitters as well as your brain structure, which is different in ADHD, slightly. And we'll come back to that in a future episode, I think, because brain structure is kind of a big, heavy topic. It's maybe not something that all of you are very interested in. So there have been some studies that look at how food and neurotransmitters are related. And the first one we're going to talk about was from 2014. And it suggested there was a relationship between things like omega-3, protein 
and the neurotransmitters that we have in our brains. It wasn't conclusive. I'm just going to say that right now. There was another one in 2011 that suggested teenagers who had a very highly processed diet might have more ADHD symptoms. And of course, that's a very typical Western diet. But as I said last week, I think sometimes these studies look from the wrong end of the telescope. And instead of saying, well, a highly processed Western diet causes ADHD or more ADHD, maybe we should think, oh, maybe the people who have more ADHD are using the Western diet, these highly refined and processed sugary, salty, fatty foods, because their ADHD is so much more having an impact. It's so much more difficult. Maybe they're not medicated, maybe they're under-medicated, and maybe they're using that as a, a kind of temporary crutch, if you like. So it's not the diet causing the ADHD, but the ADHD that leads to that type of diet. So there have been some studies looking at food allergies, and ADHD, and there was one from 2017 I found that suggested there are some components in food, like colourings, obviously, and ingredients that might make ADHD symptoms worse. Again, I don't think we've ever seen an actual causal relationship. There's one, ones that correlate, you know, so they, they appear to be connected, but we're not sure if one is causing the other. What I did find that was very interesting were two studies that looked at this idea that tyrosine is somehow deficient in people with ADHD because a lot of people suggest, oh, you can take supplements. I am very cautious around supplements for things like essential amino acids and things. I think you'd have to talk to somebody like a dietitian, proper dietitian, who really understands the science behind it. And I think most of them would say, unless you have exceptional nutritional needs, unless you have allergies, unless you have a certain type of digestive problem or illness, it's more likely you'll get what you need from eating a particular kind of diet in a whole food context than taking a supplement. So the study that I found was fascinating and they, they were looking to see if there are any tyrosine abnormalities in children with ADHD. Do these children have problems absorbing tyrosine? So what they did was they looked at aromatic amino acids, triple A's. There were around 83 kids and 17 of them had ADHD. And they looked at their triple A's in both blood and urine samples. And what they found was there was no difference between the neurotypical kids and the ADHD kids when it came to these aromatic amino acids, the things that we think would be connected with dopamine through tyrosine levels. And it was the first study that really looked at a sizable group of children to see if there was any difference in the way that ADHD kids handled protein and that if there was a, an element of that, you know, we're maybe not digesting protein properly, we're not handling the amino acids in the same way, and if that could be a key to helping kids with their ADHD traits and the problems that it can cause in school are significant. There was another study looking at the gut microbiome in people with ADHD and comparing it with people who didn't. And there was a difference that they found there, but it wasn't the one that they were maybe expecting. I'll put the details in the show notes. And what they found was that people with ADHD had a slightly higher level of a type of bifidobacterium. And they also did an fMRI, which is a functional brain image, so that they could see how people's brains were working. So they weren't just looking at stool samples, they were looking at their brains as well. What they found was that people with a higher level of this kind of bifidobacterium had a different brain response 
than the one that the scientists were expecting. So there is some evidence that the bacteria in your gut can be related to how your brain responds, possibly. Again, it's not causal, it's a correlational relationship. So if you have people with this higher level of bacteria and their brain doesn't respond in the same way, what happens if we change that gut microbiome? That's a whole other podcast and it's definitely not one that I want to do today. I want to get something practical ready for you. And it just makes me wonder, again, is it because we're choosing a different diet because we don't experience reward the same rather than our gut bacteria influencing our brain? And that's that would be a fascinating study. So I'm going to keep looking and see if anyone's done that and I will get back to you if they have. I want to move on to something really practical and this is in the context of people who are in charge of meal planning, food shopping, cooking, the the people who carry the mental load and for many households that is usually the parent that stays at home, quite often it's the mum and even if mum's working it might also be her but let's be general and say the person who is in charge of cooking, planning and meal organising. If you have ADHD, I'm going to guess it's one of the least enjoyable parts of your week. I know for me, I really struggled and it's still something that I find a challenge, especially if my executive function is being diverted elsewhere. So what is the impact of ADHD when you are in charge? Think about all the things that you need to do to organise food. Think about the high level of executive functioning needed to manage uh, a food organising role, whether it's just you, you and your partner, you and your kids and your partner's kids, and it can be a big or a small household. It still requires a high level of executive functioning. And that is because we've got to organise, we have to plan ahead, we have to make decisions, And then we have to time manage. And that's just for getting things into the house. That's not including the cooking and preparing and then the cleaning up. For someone with ADHD who might naturally struggle with this kind of time management, it's going to be really challenging and it's going to use up a lot of your energy. Unless we have enough support, either built in and scaffolding around us that is either in the form of other people or strategies and tools that we use, It's going to raise our stress. It's going to use up that precious executive functioning. It quite often leads to overwhelm. And then we end up making last minute decisions such as stuff it, let's get a chippy. (laughs) You can tell what, what happens in my house. But then that leads us to a cycle of feeling frustrated, anxious, might cause problems with budgeting because takeaway food is generally more expensive. And it has a knock on impact on our physical health as well as our mental health and that of our family. So then that can lead to more shame and we are all about getting rid of the shame. I think when you throw in things like the fatigue at the end of the day, if you've been busy working hard, you're juggling kids, you're juggling pets, you're juggling a job, you're looking, you're trying to look after yourself, you're maybe caring for your parents as well. There's a lot going on every day. And the very last thing you need is somebody going, what's for tea? or dinner, depending on which part of the country you live in. And I think you can see really clearly how that is going to impact our decision-making process. We're going to go for the easy, last-minute, enjoyable options. And I'm not the kind of person who says that only junk food tastes great. 
you can make really lovely, delicious, healthy food as well. But it does take a bit of anticipation, a bit of preparation, a bit of time. And we don't always have that up front. So what can we do about it? First of all, let's talk about structure. For anyone with ADHD, you might be the kind of person who says, I hate structure. I don't need it. I'm sorry. We all need a bit of structure. It's finding the Goldilocks amount, which is just enough for you, but not so much that you feel confined and restrained because we need enough flexibility to allow our in the moment impulses to have a range of choices. So one of the first things we can do is make a minimal, minimalist commitment to set aside a bit of time at some point in the week, middle of the week, end of the week, wherever it works for you, and use that time to sit down and think about what you're going to do for meals for the rest of the week or for the week ahead. So set us a little bit of time, 15 minutes, half an hour, once a week, so that you can look at your diary, see what's coming up and set aside some time to plan so that you know what you need to buy in and what you've already got. And I'll come back to that at the end when I talk about the thing I've got for you. Making time once a week to plan out the meals that you need, having hopefully talked to other people in the house and learned what their plans are, you can think about the number of meals you're going to need and what the ingredients are. So it's having just enough structure, but not so much that you feel you don't have room for spontaneity and variety that keeps us happy. One thing you might want to try is having a whiteboard, whether that's in the kitchen or somewhere that the whole family can access and you can brainstorm ideas with them if you're living with a family because I think it's really important that it isn't just down to one person to be in charge of all of this because everybody's going to eat the meals. And so it's good that they have some input. Of course, if you are the person in charge, you have the final vote. Okay, you can't let them just choose to have lobster thermidor or any of these things that take a long time to cook. So make a little bit of time for structure, a little time for planning once a week, ideally with the other people in the house and make it external when you're thinking about planning. Don't try to keep it all in your head as well. It's important when we're planning meals to make sure that you're covering your bases. So that's things like protein, omega-3 fatty acids, lots of whole grains, fibre and of course healthy fats from things like vegetables like avocado or is that fruit, butter, olive oil, stuff like that. There's no need to demonise that. At the same time, try to move away from every meal being focused around processed sugar, processed carbohydrates. I think there's there's fairly good evidence that ultra-processed food isn't good for anyone. So it's not going to be great if you have ADHD, is it? Try to think about filling up your meal planning with big rocks. And so I think about things like frozen fish fillets that you can use as the foundation for a meal or frozen things like that find your foundation piece and that's your big rock and you want to be making sure that's ticked off at every meal the great thing about things like that is they're not going to go out of date because i have spent so much money on good healthy food and then i forget about it or i didn't plan to eat it or i just couldn't face it i like frozen things or tin things because they don't go out of date in the same way and you can just chuck them in the oven in one dish with some vegetables, roast some vegetables, wrap it in a bit of foil or a bit of paper and cook it in the oven. 
and there you've got this incredible meal. The same with pulses, things like tin chickpeas, tin butter beans, tin lentils. Yes, I know you can save money by soaking them overnight, but frankly, have you ever remembered to do that? Or remember to do it more than once? There's something really brilliant about being able to just grab a tin of chickpeas from the cupboard and chuck it in with some vegetables and things. And you've got this fantastic vegan stew for your dinner and it takes one pot. I think one pot meals and one roasting tree things, it's a life-changing way to cook if you're not a massive fan of making it a big production. The difference is when you know that you've got these ingredients in your cupboard, it minimises that load that you're carrying, that what if I've not got anything, what if we've run out, what if it's out of date, and there's always some shame around wasting things. Have you seen the price of fish at the moment? It reduces that shame and it reduces that load. So having things in the freezer and in tins is going to be a really big important part of how you structure your meal planning. And if you're living with other members of the family or other household members who are not in the same dietary place as you, maybe they don't eat meat or maybe they do. And how do you cope with lots of different meals? I have in the past prepared three completely different meals and there are lots of reasons for that. But if you don't want to do that, how can you think about this? Consider the idea of base meals. So you have a foundation of something like roasted vegetables or a salad and then you adapt the bits that go with that. So if you have a young person who will only eat chicken in the form of nuggets, I do not think that is a bad thing. They're still getting the protein and you can get ones that are made from whole chicken now. So they could have some chicken nuggets. At the same time, you could be roasting some fish for yourself. And one of the things that I like to do with tofu is you chop it up, make sure it's dried out, roll it in some uh, nutritional yeast, and you can put all of them in little separate pockets of foil their paper in the oven and roast them at the same time obviously for different lengths of time and keep them separate for food hygiene but then you've got your foundation which is your roast vegetables or your stew and all these different kinds of protein so you can have three different meals with very little effort and it's making sure that you've got this outside of your head and at the end of the program I am going to share with you something that I have made which I think will be helpful. The other thing to maximise are pre-prepared ingredients and you can even get pre-prepared tofu. You can get this tinned braised tofu which is absolutely incredible. Get things that are prepared. I'm aware there's a premium on that but we're thinking about how to reduce your executive function load, how to reduce that demand and the, the last minute panic and that kind of permanent awareness that you're going to have to come up with something else. If half of it is already prepared, it's going to save you the time of assessing how difficult a meal is going to be to prepare. And it's, it's all about reducing the decisions that you have to make in the moment because that's where your energy, your cognitive energy is going. I want to come back to involving your family in the process. Now, if you're sharing a house with other adults, I hope this is a no-brainer. If you're sharing a house with young people who may or may not have uh, sensory issues or different needs, obviously adapt this to your own circumstance. But it's really important that you are not the only person left in charge of this part of household life. They all eat the food. They should be taking part from an early age in contributing 
to the household well-being. And that means helping you plan meals. One way you could think about this is have one night per week where they choose the meal. If they're old enough, they can learn to prepare the meal. And the other thing is, if they're having to think of one night of the week where they're in charge, where they get to choose the meal, it gives them an insight into what you're doing every single day. So once you've done your planning for the week and you have this idea of what the meals are, you've got to think about your shopping list. Now, shopping lists are hit or miss for lots of people. Some people swear by apps on their phone. Some people use good old pen and paper. But the point is that whatever message you use, it's got to be aligned with your meal plan. And the goal is to reduce you time and mental space and energy when you go to the shops. You can group your items by category so that when you go around the supermarket, you know what you're getting in the dairy, you know what you're getting in vegetables, you know what you're getting in the tinned aisle. And that might mean you end up having two shopping lists. And the way I do this is I have one on the fridge that I walk past and when something is run out or I notice we're getting low, I literally write it on the fridge door list. And then when it's time to go shopping, if I'm not doing it online, which is my other favourite one, I will make sure they're grouped together so you're not going back and forward in the supermarket. And you've got your shopping list ready and then you're going to just double check quickly what's in your cupboard. This could be a task that you share with somebody else in the house. It doesn't have to be you that does all of this. If you need to bribe people, then do it. It doesn't matter. But don't end up like me with at least a dozen tins of canned tomatoes. And the point of this is just to try and reduce your overwhelm. So the fridge door pads are fantastic. They've got a wee magnetic pad. Use that to write down things when they run out and make sure other people know that they should do this too so that you are not checking when their thing has run out. If only one person drinks milk, make sure they write it down when it's going to run out. And finally, we want to think about how you can prepare meals in advance. The most I've ever done is prepare meals that I can use for maybe a couple of days and then I put them into glass trays, glass containers with a plastic lid and they go straight from the freezer or the fridge into the oven and then they go straight in the dishwasher. So that kind of preparing in advance is really helpful but again that's where things like your frozen and chopped up vegetables, all of that is going to make it easier if you want to batch two or three meals for the rest of the week. And of course the other great thing about having little things like frozen onions, mushrooms, herbs, A, you're going to save money because they don't go out of date. So those are the kind of foundation of having things that you can grab quickly without having to think too much is really important in the overall reduction of stress and overwhelm at home. Again, at the end of the programme, I'm going to tell you about this thing I've created, which I think will help a lot with this overwhelm and management piece. The final thing I'm going to suggest when you are thinking about being in charge of meal times is timers. I run on timers and if I didn't, I would frequently burn dinner. And one of the reasons I actually started medication was I burned breakfast and dinner every day for about two or three months. I literally could not remember to turn things off. Um, I was It was in the winter, so I was making things like porridge and quinoa and things, and they just burned dry. So I went through half a dozen pans because I couldn't get the 
the burn marks off and it was just ridiculous. So timers are really helpful. I use some on my watch so that it reminds me I need to move practically and it's not a fancy watch or anything. It's just an electronic one with a timer. But I also use the cooker one. Don't try to force yourself to remember oh, I must go back in 15 minutes. Set a timer for it. Every single thing that you can make external, every executive function that you can make external, do it because then your brain is just going to go, oh, and relax and feel so much happier, okay? And of course, talking about families and young people and even lots of older people among us, we've got to touch on ARFID as part of our awareness around meal planning and ADHD. If you're a parent with a young person who's struggling with certain kinds of food or textures, first of all, it's not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. You could have two or three children, raise them exactly the same, and one is it's just going to practically wretch when you try to ask them to eat a blueberry. It's them. It's not you. You haven't failed. So please let go of that idea and don't let anybody else tell you it's your fault, okay? But we do know that there's an element of the sensory overwhelm, whether it's the smell, the texture, the taste of a food, the unpredictability, the anxiety. It all seems to join together to make this ARFID, which is short for Avoidant Restrictive food intake disorder. ARFID isn't the same as picky eating and quite often people will say oh your toddler's a bit picky they'll grow out of it. If your toddler has gone through a stage where they've massively dropped a wide range of food and they haven't come out of it at the time when you would expect them to and in fact it's gotten worse and their range of food is really restricted you need to find a dietitian. There are people you can go to I will include links in the show notes. You might want to read about something called food chaining, but it is not the same as picky eating. They're not doing it to upset you. They genuinely cannot eat it. And the difficult thing for parents, especially when we're busy, is having the patience and the compassion, the empathy to be with that small child or young person when they are unable to eat something. Because it can feel personal especially if you have struggled to make the meal, you've put a lot of energy into it and then they don't want it. First of all, give yourself some compassion. Be aware that feeling is coming up for you if you're struggling with patience. And then recognise what's going on for them. They might be tired. They might be in a picky eating stage. They might have some food allergies. It might be ARFID and it's not really within the competence of this podcast or me to help you understand which one. I will include links to dietitians and things like I said. You might want to see if involving them in choosing meals and involve them in food preparation helps so they get used to the texture and the idea that they're in control of this food. But as a parent, your job is really just to be the safe, calm harbour that they can come to when they're feeling stressed about being confronted with food that they can't cope with. The last thing I wanted to look at today very briefly was the addition of supplements and hydration. Now, last night I watched a TikTok where somebody told a person who had ADHD and menopause to take three or four times the recommended amount of a supplement and I was genuinely shocked. Please don't do that. If you start any supplement, make sure 
with your psychiatrist or your GP, it's not going to interact with your medication. If you do start something, let them know because your medication may need to be adjusted. So if you've got a diet that includes oily fish twice a week, you don't need a supplement or you could try a small one, but you don't need to go overboard. Things like B vitamins are really important and lots of us struggle to get them in. But again, with B6, you don't want to take massive amounts because we know it can cause nerve damage. A general multivitamin for people who have a limited diet is probably recommended. And in Scotland, in most of the UK, from about September to March, you should be taking a vitamin D3. So apart from that, you'd have to be talking to a dietitian or a nutritionist to look for specific supplement recommendations not some dude on TikTok, please. And the last thing I want to mention is hydration. Hydration is so important and I am very guilty of not drinking enough water, especially in winter. I think our brain's 75% water. So if you're dehydrated and you're feeling a bit rubbish, then you should try drinking a glass of water and just being aware of the difference that can make. And it's frustrating because so many of these things that I mention on here, you think, of course, drinking enough water is going to make me feel better, but I don't do it. And so the secret is to create anchors, not habits, because habits are things that we are not fans of, but an anchor can be something that is much more fun. So think about what could you anchor drinking a sip of water with? Could you anchor it with opening up your phone and you might even have it on your phone screen so that when you pick up your phone and you look at it drink some water first please and that could be enough to get you into the habit of drinking a little bit more water oh I said the h word but it's anchor between the phone and the water that's the important thing because we know that when we're dehydrated our focus attention our general feeling of well-being our mood decreases and again your brain is 75 percent water You need a lot of it. And in our particular population, people who take ADHD medication, when you start taking medication, you can get really thirsty and feel dehydrated. So it's really important to make sure that you're having enough water when you start medication and as you continue. And that's a note to myself as well as everybody else. The last thing I wanted to mention today was that having done all this preparation for the episode, I realised it makes a lot of sense for me to bring these things together and offer them to you in a digital toolkit. So if you go and visit my website and have a look in the links below, you will find a link to a digital toolkit that is going to help you manage ADHD meal planning more easily. It isn't completely free and here's why. I find if you download something that's completely free, it goes into the vault of doom on your Google Drive or wherever you store your documents and it sits there. I don't want that. I like working with people when they are ready to take action. So if you are ready to take action, if you want to make this more manageable for yourself, I've got a toolkit for you. So there is a a bumper meal planning manual which includes lots of things that I talked about, making your shopping list more manageable, making your cupboard inventory, brainstorming meals. It's got recipe cards so you can write down things. You don't have to try and keep it in your head. It's got information about foods that are particularly high in nutritional value. I think it might call them superfoods, but we all know that 
all food can be a superfood. And it's got lots of tips about preparing and batching and planning meals in a way that is ADHD friendly and approachable. So I am really delighted to offer that to you as a bit of support as you try to make these changes. I know it's not easy, but it will make daily life easier going forward because that decision is gone. It's off your plate. Oh, plate. So I hope that this has been really helpful. Next week, I am going to shake things up and look at ADHD and menopause because I did a live on Instagram this week and I got so many questions and there's so much misinformation and I'm sorry, I'm just a bit done with men saying ADHD women and menopause, here's some information for you. I would like women to be in charge of that conversation. So next week is going to be ADHD and menopause. If you have questions, send them in to me and there will be another amazing tool that I am creating right now and it's going to be really helpful. Anyway, thank you again for letting me into your earbuds and it's been so great to hear from lots of you about how much you're enjoying the podcast. If you enjoy it, I would be really grateful if you could leave a review or a rating wherever you listen, whether that's Apple or Spotify. And I'm hoping that fairly soon I'll get to the point where I can ask people to come on to the podcast. Let me know who you would like me to talk to. Who would you like me to interview or ask questions of in a highly unprofessional and disorganised way and completely forget that I'm actually meant to be interviewing them and just end up chatting because that's what I do. But if you've got ideas, if you've got somebody you'd love to have on here, let me know and send me a message. Otherwise, thank you again. I'm honoured that you've given me your time and I look forward to sharing the next episode with you on Tuesday because I'm going to move the publication date. So from Friday, we're going to go to Tuesday and we're going to stick with that. So it gives you something for the commute Okay, anyway, lovely to be with you again. Thank you. And I will see you next week for more powerful possibilities. Thank you for joining us today on Powerful Possibilities, Navigating ADHD from New Diagnosis and Beyond. We're all about equipping you with the tools and insights that you need to thrive. If you found value in this episode, please subscribe and share it with someone else you know who might benefit or who you want to understand you better. Remember, your journey with ADHD is an ongoing journey of growth, but you're not alone anymore. Until next time, this is Catherine, reminding you that with the right guidance, the possibilities really are powerful and endless. Take care.